but there's numerous studies tying parabens specifically to breast cancer. And so as women, I think that's a number one thing to avoid. And parabens are found Ross personal care products. So your, your lotions, your moisturizers, your makeups, and it makes sense. They're, you know, they're there to prevent bacteria from developing. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Tea Please podcast, where we spill the tea, the good kind of tea, the tea that makes us all better people. That was our guest for this episode, Elizabeth Bulos, aka The Ingredient Insider. Truly, we need more people like her to help us understand what's going on with the ingredients in our products. Because if you're like me, you want to do the right thing, but it's really hard to know what the right thing is. And the research that Elizabeth has done to understand the ingredients in our products makes it so much easier for the rest of us. So for that, we are forever indebted. Thank you, Elizabeth. So parabens, sulfates, SLAs, oxybenzone, these are just a few of the toxic ingredients that we get into on this episode. So again, if you're like me, you know that these things are probably bad and you've probably seen them on labels or seen labels that say paraben and sulfate free, but not really sure why. So if that's you, keep listening because Elizabeth spills the tea. But before we do that, you know I have some tea to spill of my own. A new year means a new planner. Yes, I know for many of us, planning and goal setting kind of went out the window last year. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to try again this year. You know, I'm just hoping. I'm feeling really hopeful. I don't know if that's naive of me, but I'm hopeful. And this year I'm using the Amplify Planner and I'm loving it so far. It has monthly, weekly, and daily formats all in one planner. I use the month view for all my content planning, the weekly view for whatever I want. (laughs) I haven't really found my groove yet with the weekly format. And then I use the daily pages to break down my days and get really granular on what I need to get done. They really do it right with this one. And I did my research on planners, you guys. Like I, I went down the rabbit hole of looking at planners and this is a good one. You have habit tracking, timeline of each day broken down in 30-minute increments, personal goals, work goals, free space. It has all the elements of all my favorite planners all in one. I also really love it because each planner is only a quarter long. So if you have commitment issues, you can just try it for a quarter. You don't have to commit to the whole entire year. It's wonderful. They even have an active Facebook groups you can join to get inspo and tips on how to use your planner. And it's super helpful. And it's a well-managed Facebook group. Nothing annoys me more than a poorly managed Facebook group and they have their shit together. So it's worth it. Anyway, linked that in the show notes for you. Not sponsored, just something I love and I know that you'll love it too. I'll let you know if these are ever sponsored just so you know, because I will be so pumped about it. That's one of my goals that I wrote down in my planner for 2021 to land a paid brand partnership. So yeah, Amplify planners can really help you get clear on things and, you know, get you organized. All right, so please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss out on your weekly tea, and new episodes will drop every single Monday. And with that, let's welcome Elizabeth to the show. How did you get into ingredients? Like, when did you start paying more attention to what's in your personal care products, nutrition? Like, when did you start paying attention to ingredients? Honestly, it really started with my sister. My older sister is Maine's Executive Director of Public Health. Her background is in nutrition and epidemiology. And 
I think from an early age, she was the one that like even growing up in high school who was educating all of us on like ingredients and telling my parents like, get rid of this, get rid of this, like look at this mom and dad. Um, but then it really, for me, it really hit home right after grad school. I worked for an organic produce company here in Colorado and that just opened my eyes. Like I never really understood the, the impacts or the differences of organic versus conventional, both on like the human health side of things, but also on the farmer, like the farmer, the environment, like that entire impact was really eye-opening for me. And, and so many of those farmers have a lot of passion around what they do. And so while I'd always been pretty health conscious, running marathons, like into yoga, like all of that stuff, um, and then with my sister's background, it really wasn't until that, and that was back in 2008, that I would say it just really clicked for me. And my whole career, though, truthfully, has been in the food industry, consumer products industry. And so I've always been really aware of marketing, branding, ingredients, product development. But that, I would say, in 2008 was really when everything kind of came to a head and it started opening my eyes. And I started just looking at ingredients and their impact on our health environmental health, and then even workers who work with these ingredients every single day. Like what's the biggest thing you found out after you got into like looking, actually paying attention to those things? Two or three times in my life, I've gone down these rabbit holes. Like first it was with food and I got really passionate about food and food ingredients. And then when I was working abroad, we were working on um, a sustainable product development project. The company I ha I worked for had major goals for 2020 to beat, which is kind of funny now that here we are in 2020, to hit some sustainability objectives. And we started looking into ingredients of personal care products because we wanted to have the same private label product assortment across our, our international footprint. And that, I would say, is what shocked me the most. Like, I felt like when I learned about organic foods and ingredients and chemicals that can appear even on like produce or other, I would say like healthy items. That was eye-opening, but I never really thought about personal care products until I was living in Serbia. And what I found out is that there's just such a lack of regulation here in the US and even in Canada. And I was so disappointed because I felt like I'd been on this amazing, like healthy journey with foods and what we put on our skin every day just never even occurred to me. And so my journey, I would say really started there. And that's when I came back from living abroad, I really started digging into research on ingredients and their impact on human health, because there are so many ingredients that are banned in the European Union that are not we don't even talk about in the US. I mean, in the US, we haven't passed a major law regulating personal care products since 1938, which I don't remember 1938. I mean, you know, <laughs> that was eight, that was 80 years ago. Usually when I think about 1938, I'm thinking, oh, it was right before the start of World War II. And then you think about everything that has changed since then. It's it can actually feel really overwhelming when you think, oh my gosh, since 1938, we've had over 80,000 chemicals put on the market. And then you start going down this rabbit hole of learning that only about 10% of them ever get tested for safety and it, it can stop you in your tracks. And so I spent a lot of time researching uh, personal care products, ingredients, household cleaner ingredients. As soon as I got back and you know, that was back in 2012, and spent several months just really digging into the data. And I never considered myself to be a data geek, but I wanted to know everything that there was to know um, and what studies were actually being done both in the US and in other countries. And so for me, 
I would say that was what was most eye-opening is that the a lot of people are more conscious about the foods that they eat. They try to be healthy. They want to make sure they have enough energy for the day, like, you know, get the nutrients when you're ingesting them. But our skin is our largest organ and everything that we put on our skin has an impact. Or like with a household cleaner, every time you spray something, like you're inhaling that and it gets into your lungs or you light a candle, like you're breathing in those fumes. And most of us don't really think about those things and I never did. And so as soon as that light bulb went off in my head, I just, I basically went down the rabbit hole for many, many months. Yeah, throwing everything out, Marie Kondo style, just get it all out. Yes, you know, and I did, I just, basically went through my house and I tossed a lot of stuff and it probably wasn't the most sustainable thing to do. But I think anger sort of set in where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been duped. Like I'm a marketer at heart, like my background's in marketing and branding, like, and I fell for all the claims. Like I totally did. And that just really upset me and annoyed me. But I would tell most people, like for most people, that's not normal. Is like you switch a product at a time, just like you would switch, whether it's personal care or food products, like you would switch it one at a time. You'd learn about ingredients, you'd learn about healthier foods, you'd learn about a safer product and you switch it one at a time. I just didn't happen to go that way. I <laughs> I just basically went into my bathroom and just started throwing away stuff and and really just tried to clean it up. And and the, the reality is for me, like I did notice a difference. Like nowadays, if I go down a household cleaning aisle or if I go into a you know a candle store or something that is heavily scented, like I can feel the impacts um, of those fumes like on my health. And I think it's just because my body has felt the difference just by switching to safer and cleaner ingredients over time. What have you noticed about how you feel and how those things have affected you now that you've made those swaps? I'll talk more specifically to personal care because I would say that's the thing that was more recent for me. It's not even necessarily a benefit. It's more of like what does impact me now. So it's not like, oh, I switched to safer products or cleaner ingredient products. And, you know, I, I feel you know, light and airy or super glowy. It's more that when I do walk down the household cleaning aisle in a grocery store, I feel headaches. And so many people will talk, like, especially if you have asthma or you do have like sensitivities, like you might walk down like a household cleaning aisle or you might walk into a candle store and like you might feel, you know, some of the bath and body stores that are in malls, like you walk in and you like get hit with that scent. And I've just noticed I'm so hypersensitive to that now. And I think it's because my body has detoxed and gone more to this natural, safer route. I think that's one big thing. I think the other thing for me is that it was a little bit more direct is I have very sensitive skin. I've always had super sensitive skin, even as a kid. And, you know, I had acne as a teenager, which everybody hates. But in hindsight, I understand I did so many things wrong, like, when I would get forehead breakouts as a teenager, I would then immediately like try to fry it with alcohol, right? Like all of these like Stridex pads and like astringents that I would put on top of it. And really that wasn't doing anything good for my skin because it had all of these toxic ingredients that are really just designed to dry it as much as possible. So I would do that. And then I'd layer it on with like makeup and my skin would freak out again. And so it was this vicious cycle. In hindsight, it's because a lot of the ingredients that are used in our mainstream products that you pick up at the grocery store are not only tested for safety, but they have a lot of known allergens and irritants in them. So it actually makes so much more sense now why my skin for so many years as a teenager was like stuck in this vicious cycle of continuing to break out and be sensitive and 
develop rashes because all of these ingredients were actually just irritating it. And so I would say that my skin did clear up better in my 20, you know, my late 20s when I really switched to a cleaner regimen. But for me, what I'm super aware of now is just how impacted my body is when I am around more toxic ingredients, like the headaches I get, like the fact that it really hits me right in the face. Um, And that headache can last for a while. So it's nice to know that like my body's detoxed a bit, but it's still just a really interesting, like sort of your own science experiment to go do too, is you detox a little bit, then you kind of pop back into like heavily fragranced areas and likely notice a difference. Okay. So I have a question on that. Like as far as acne treatments, (laughs) what do you recommend? Because I'm currently doing everything that you're saying not to do. And I've narrowed it down to like one product that I got because I've been getting so many breakouts like on my jawline. It's driving me insane because I have not had this happen until like since my teens. And then I've been doing that. So I have like some ingredients that I know work well. And then I got this like Neutrogena spot treatment at the store and it has ruined my skin, just like completely fried the bottom half where I've put it on. And I'm wondering what is in that. So what ingredients would you say to avoid for like skincare, acne specific, if you have any recommendations there? There's definitely a lot of ingredients that I could talk about to avoid, but a few that are really easy to identify on your product because you know, I joke too that you shouldn't have to be a scientist or have a science background to read the ingredient yeah. label. But the reality is sometimes you do because one ingredient can go by 17 names or more. So one ingredient that I would avoid because it does, ir- it irritates a lot of people and most people don't know this is fragrance. And so you'll see it clearly listed on your, on your ingredient panel as either fragrance or perfume, like it's very common. And the reason I tell people that that's the easiest one to avoid Um, is because it has one is clearly on the label. But the other thing is, is that that can be a chemical cocktail of 2000 or more ingredients in it, you don't really know what's in it, because it's a trade secret. So Mm. companies use that to just basically dump a whole bunch of different ingredients in, and it's a way to kind of skirt or make a product seem safer. Like I've seen tons of labels that look very clean and then they'll throw in fragrance and people are like, I don't know why my skin is freaking out. And it's because you don't know what's in that fragrance unless they tell you. But usually the chemicals that are used in fragrance are irritants, they're hormone disruptors, they're known allergens. So if you have really sensitive skin or if you have acne prone skin, I would say definitely avoid fragrance because that's likely going to only exacerbate what's going on. And then I would just take a look. So if it's a spot treatment, I mean, there could be a salicylic acid in it. There could be a retinol in it. I think it really depends. I would avoid a retinol. Retinol is super common to use. And the thing is, retinol does work. But for a lot of people, mm-hmm. retinol also creates a sensitivity, especially if you're going out in the sun. It's encouraged. You should avoid retinol if you're pregnant. And so I say, if you have to avoid it when you're pregnant, like why don't you just avoid it all the time? I think retinol is interesting because it it can be like it works, like it does work for sure. But can't use it unsupervised. <laughs> like you can't just like use the retinol and not really know what you're doing because of what you just mentioned as far as skin sensitivity. I use a retinol and it's like the prescription strength, but it's not for the beginner. You have to know what you're doing and know, like, take care of your skin with sunscreen as well, or um, really know what it does to your skin. You can't just like lather it on every day because it's really going to 
to mess with your skin. So yeah, I agree. That's one to look out for. But is it toxic? Retinol is toxic. It is? Yeah. So retinol is pretty toxic. The reason that you avoid it when you're pregnant is because it can cause birth defects. And so usually if someone gets pregnant, that is on their like little short list of definitely avoid all of these ingredients. And retinol is one of them. Oh my gosh. That's heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah. So, but that's, you know, and that's a really tough ingredient because as you just said, it works. Like it is, it's good for anti-aging. It's good for acne. It's, I mean, it's good for so many things, but on the other side, it, if you are pregnant and you're using a retinol product, like there are very strong links to birth defects with that, um, and hormone disruption along the way. So even if you're trying to get pregnant, like you should avoid retinol products because it can mess with fertility as well. But yeah, like more specific to to acne too is, you know, what you'll find in a lot of acne products is a lot of alcohols too. And alcohols aren't necessarily bad because they do help dry. But if you have too many alcohols and if they're PEGs, which are petroleum byproducts, then they can tag along like a lot of toxic, irritating ingredients. And so I would also look for anything that says PEG on your label if you're looking for acne products, I mean, things that are safe, like salicylic acid is great. Like it, it definitely helps with acne. You just want it to be less than 2% other than, because otherwise you get into that threshold of it could be more toxic. Again, salicylic acid is another one that if you're pregnant, they usually tell you to avoid high levels of it um, because it, it can impact your health. So I think that's like a really beneficial ingredient. And you also want to make sure that you're using, it's kind of like the whole regimen picture, like with acne, like you definitely want to make sure that you're using a good moisturizer. Like sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to put anything else on my skin because I'm afraid that it's going to irritate it. And there are a lot of amazing plant-based oils that you can use that also help calm acne, especially if it's like red and angry. Like there's Lang Lang, there's chamomile, there's all these different light plant-based oils that are actually very calming for your skin and can help reduce that inflammation because with acne in your skin, it's just getting angry, right? Like it's, your skin is just, angry and it's upset and there's bacteria. So usually when people talk to me about acne, I I like to look at the whole picture and even what you're eating. You know, for me, I know if I eat too much sugar and too much dairy, my skin is just going to freak out and it's going to be like, nope, like I know that tasted good, but but I'm going to teach you a thing or two and I'm probably going to wake up with a breakout. Yeah, Charcoal is great for acne because it really helps to dry out the impurities in your skin without over drying, as long as it's a pretty clean charcoal product. So I love charcoal. Like that's what I tend to use if my skin freaks out is I'll use it like even a little charcoal mask like just as a spot treatment. Or if you buy your own activated charcoal, you can even like mix that with some water or apple cider vinegar and just use it as your own spot treatment too. I need to try that instead of whatever I got from the store that's ruining my skin. <laughs> I mean, I just hate how confusing it is to do the right thing and like take care of yourself. Yeah, it's so confusing, you know, and even with acids, there are some that are plant-based and then there are some that are synthetic. And I often talk to people about the fact that just because something is synthetic too doesn't necessarily mean it's toxic. Like we we have natural products that are used in our, our skincare, personal care products, and even our food that you don't, that aren't safe. Lead is technically natural. Petroleum byproducts are natural, but those aren't necessarily safe either. Or like if you're talking about heavy metals that are commonly found in makeup, like it gets, 
it's so confusing. Like for me, it's like you have the ingredients, which is one thing, but then the other thing is what's the source of the ingredient? Is it plant-based? Is it synthetic? Is there any testing done? Like, you know, what's the amount that's actually used in the product too? And right, like a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm just using a little bit. Well, and that's great. Like that, that is super valid. If it's short time, you're like trying to just heal up your skin and fix it for whatever reason. Like I totally get that and I respect that. But you also think about like a car, like if you don't, change your oil, you know, like it's, you know, all these little things can impact your car over time. So just like all these little things impact your car, all these little things can impact your skin and can impact your health over time. I was going to say too, like an amazing resource too, if you just like want a quick pulse check on the safety of your products is environmental working group. A lot of people have heard of because they come out with a dirty dozen list of produce items every year. They also have an app or you can go to their website and the app is called healthy living and you can actually scan your product and it will give you a score for its safety, like from a one to a 10. And then if you're a data nerd like me, you can actually go in and like look at the research on like why the individual ingredients get their score. So I think that's a great pulse check. Like if you're just going to go to the store, like scan the product and see, or if you're at home, scan and see how your, your products rank and you can look and really see what products are irritants or might have cancer concern or which products are totally safe and are actually beneficial. So that's a resource I'd like to give a lot of people because it's, it can be overwhelming. Like it took me a long time to learn more and more about ingredients and what they actually are and that they can have 17 different names. <laughs> so what are some of the common toxic ingredients? I know you mentioned PEGs, which I already forgot what that means. So if you can tell us what that means again, and what are some of those other like easy products that if you see them on a label for, um, let's stick with personal care right now of like, put it back on the shelf. So PEGs are, they're very complex compounds, but they're all petrol, they're all derived from petroleum. And so what's really complex about PEGs is, is that they're totally safe compounds. And then there are ones that have a lot of contaminants. And I can talk about contaminants more in a second. And so just as a blanket, you will actually see it, I'll see like PEG hyphen, and then there will be a number like after it most commonly, but they're all derived from petroleum. And so whether you're thinking about human health or you're thinking about environmental health, it's really good to avoid a lot of those petroleum byproducts as much as possible. Um, just because they are often known carcinogens with strong links to a variety of different cancers or neurotoxicity, organ toxicity, and, and also allergens. Simplified, that's what PEGs are. And you, again, what's great about PEGs is you can very clearly see it on the label. It'll say PEG. Besides fragrance, a couple of the other big ones that I would avoid, one is oxybenzone. And this is a very common sunscreen ingredient. And I'm very nerdy about sunscreen. Everybody knows that's where I can pull out my soapbox um, because sunscreen is such a technical product. And it's actually the only product that the FDA really does review to make sure that the SPF matches the number on the packaging. But oxybenzone is a chemical sunscreen ingredient, and it's found in about 97% of American bodies, which is a super high percentage. But what oxybenzone does is, one, it's a major allergen. Um, you'll find it in sunscreen. You'll find it in tinted sunscreen, so like your tinted moisturizers with an SPF in it. Um, but it's a major allergen, and then it does have some preliminary research linked to hormone disruption. But even beyond that, it has done major damage to coral reefs. So if you're you're like, ah, I don't really, whatever about my health, like it is actually breaking down coral reefs. And so 
countries have banned it. Hawaii is going to be banning it from sunscreen sold on the island um, or on the islands of Hawaii um, starting next year, um, just because they've seen oxybenzone and another one, octanoxate, that have caused major damage. And I just use the analogy, if it if it's actually shown to be damaging coral reefs, like think about what it's doing to your skin. Like that's kind of like crazy. It's in an ocean. It's, you know, you think it's like majorly diluted, um, but that's a really easy one to identify on a product label. And then the other one I would say, and their science names are very long, but it's DEA, TEA, and MEAs. And these are all ammonia-based ingredients that are commonly found in moisturizers, sunscreens, fragrances. Um, and what they are is they help, they're a help, they're a foaming agent. So you'll find them in anything that like tends to foam up. Um, but they're a major carcinogen that you really want to avoid in your products. Dang. Okay. I love that. I hate it, but I love <laughs> no it. Those are, yeah. And those are just a few. Cause like, I think, I think it's really important to give people like easy ones that you're like, okay, I can remember DEA. I can remember TEA. I can remember MEA because if you start getting like, for example, formaldehyde is commonly found in our products, but formaldehyde has 17 different names that it can go underneath. I don't even remember all of them off the top of my head, you know, so that's a little bit trickier. But those are a few that if you pick up your bottle and you like turn it around, I would absolutely avoid those. And then, you know, we can obviously talk about like parabens and a couple of other ones that I think are a little bit more common, but people don't necessarily understand. Where would we find those? And what's the deal with them? Parabens specifically were something that was interesting to me because I remember it was, gosh, I was probably in my early 20s and everyone's like, oh, it's paraben free. And I was like, okay, I guess that's good, but I don't know why. That's where I'm at. That's my extent of understanding. <laughs> yeah. So parabens have been used since the 1920s. They help prevent mold and fungus and bacteria from developing in in your products. And so it sounds like a good thing. Like it helps your product last longer. You know, you don't need to worry about it expiring in just like a few weeks or a, a few months. Unfortunately, there's very strong links with parabens and cancer, um, among other things. But there's numerous studies tying parabens specifically to breast cancer. And so as women, I think that's a number one thing to avoid. And parabens are found ross personal care products. So your, your lotions, your moisturizers, your makeups, and it makes sense. They're, you know, they're there to prevent bacteria from developing, but you'll never see just, or at least I've never seen it, just the word paraben on a label. It usually has a prefix. So it's going to be methyl para, paraparaben, isopropyl paraben. And so you want to just look for that paraben at the end of a sentence and if you are at the end of an ingredient and if you see that then I would I would skip that um that again I think it's another easier one once you know what you're looking for to avoid but I also think it's a thing that most people think parabens are now banned and they aren't they aren't not in the U.S. so sulfates a very complex ingredient because there's good sulfates and there are like safer sulfates and then there's not so good sulfates and the two most common ones are SLES which is sodium lauryl sulfate and SLS which is sodium lauryl sulfate and those are the two most common ones that you will find in personal care products and what sulfates do at the basis is they're like a detergent and a foaming agent. So similar to the DATA, they are going to help things lather. They kind of give you that like sexy feel of your shampoo. So like when your shampoo is like all foamy and you're like, oh, like I'm getting a great clean. Really, it's 
the sulfates that are doing it. It has no other main purpose other than that. So it's like amazing marketing and product development that was done. The harmful side of sulfates, specifically SLS and SLES, is they are a major irritant. So if you do have sensitive skin, a dry scalp, like you want to avoid those because for a lot of people, they do cause dryness, they cause a reaction. But where the bigger concern with sulfates comes in, or specifically SLS and SLES, is that they they are often contaminated with I4-dioxane. And I4-dioxane, and this is where it gets like like very sciencey, but this contaminant has strong links again to cancer and neurotoxicity. So like in California, the the EPA there has actually said they are no neurotoxin with organ organ system toxicity. They impact your liver, they impact your kidneys, and then they have a strong cancer link. And that's why ingredients, this topic gets so complicated is because you think you think the ingredient that you see is just the ingredient, but often, especially if it's petroleum derived or made in a lab, it does have these contaminants. And it's often the contaminant concern that you have to be afraid of because you'll never see I4-dioxane on a label. You won't, you'll just see the sulfate itself. But that's effect, essentially what what sulfates are and what they do and really where they're the concern for health comes in with them. Yeah. Okay. There's more levels to that than I thought there was <laughs> as far as what you're saying about contaminants really makes sense that it's not necessarily the the ingredient itself, but what can happen to that ingredient. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go scan all my personal care products after this interview and I might be doing some purging on my side. It's, you know, and that, this is again, though, why it's so complex, like we just talked about and why it can be so overwhelming and you can just like be like, mm-hmm. I just want to shut down. But that's why like for someone like me who just like, I got so fired up and went down this crazy rabbit hole I was like, wait a second, now I'm looking at like every ingredient and the contaminants that like most people don't have time to do that or the energy, like most consumers don't like, in theory, the products that are on our shelves every day, we should just be able to pick up and buy and like not worry about like, that's often what most people think is, if I made it to the grocery store, if I'm, you know, Target, wherever it is, like, yeah. it should be safe. Why wouldn't it be? And and I think once you start to realize that that's not the truth, like you can just be like hit with this like wave of overwhelm because you just don't even like you don't know what you don't know when you go down that rabbit hole. Okay, so talk to us about greenwashing since we're talking about the target aisle and wanting everything to be safe there. What are some terms that you might see on products that you would consider greenwashing and to maybe like encourage taking another look at those? I would say with greenwashing, especially if you're in a grocery store or Target or whatever, the biggest category I actually see greenwashing in is cleaning products. Um, And the reason for that is that you can probably think about Mm. all this green packaging or companies that even use the word green, the name of their brand or the name of their company. And I, again, I was the person who fell for that. I was like, oh, they say it's all natural. They say it's biodegradable. They say, you know, it's fragrance-free or unscented. And unscented, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean it's fragrance-free, which is a whole other confusing thing. So I would How can they say that? Because, so there's actually masked fragrance, which can help a product 
what a masked fragrance does is it's actually a fragrance in and of itself that dilutes the other fragrances so that it doesn't have an aroma. So if people say to you like, oh, I've got such a headache, so I need to buy unscented products, they could go buy an unscented product, but you might actually find that fragrance or a masked fragrance is the fragrance in the unscented product. And it basically, it truly just covers up the other scents in there, but it's still a fragrance. So it's still a chemical cocktail. You don't necessarily know what's in it. And fragrance is just a major loophole. I mean, you ask how they can say that it's because the FDA has the smallest team ever to regulate these products. And so a lot of people, it's not like the USDA. It isn't at all, mm-hmm. actually. They have a very small team. There's like a page and a half of regulations for a multi-billion dollar industry. Even organic, for example. Organic is a super common claim that we'll see, but the FDA doesn't even have a have a definition for organic at all. They have they haven't come up with one. Like they, there's two laws that fall under um, labeling labeling for personal care products and household products. But in neither of those laws is there a definition for organic. So that can even be misleading on a label. So it could be organic, it could be green, it could be natural, it could be fragrance free, like all of those things make you think that the product is safer. And in theory, they should be, but it's not necessarily true. Um, And the reason I think the cleaning aisle is especially difficult is because the way it works is that companies don't need to disclose all of the ingredients that they use in household cleaners. Unlike in other personal care products where, except for the fragrance loophole, they need to list the ingredients and household cleaners, you don't. What the EPA has said is that you need to list ingredients of concern, but because there's not really research or studies done, unless it's a super known toxic chemical, you're not gonna see it on the back of a household cleaner. And so for me, like household cleaners, when you're looking to switch to a household cleaner, I would I would absolutely use like the Environmental Working Group website. I mean, I have a lot of recommendations for sure too, but I would do- Yeah, what's your favorite like cleaning product brand? So I have a few. So one I just recently found and fell in love with, um, it's a small company here in Colorado. It's called Peyton's Potion. And they use 100% organic essential oils, which is really impressive because organic essential oils are not commonly used. Um, It's an amazing multi-purpose cleaner and it comes with like a little refill concentrate. So I really love that one. That one's not in a lot of retail stores yet just because they're small and a startup, but it was founded. Do they do online? Yes, they're online and um, yep. So they do e-commerce and I just love their story, their mission. It was created by a mom when her son was going through childhood leukemia. And when she found out about the toxic load that was going to be in his body, she went and basically found out that household cleaners are one of the most toxic things that we use in our homes every day, which is very true. Like every time you spray, like I was saying earlier, like you're inhaling those fumes And it goes on our counter so our food can get on it, our pets get on it, all of these other things. And so household cleaners are actually a great place to start if you're going to switch to some safer ingredient products. Um, So that one sold online. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of other good brands, Molly Suds is one, Humble Suds is one. For people who are super entry level, I would say Dr. Bronner's is a really safe bet. So Dr. Bronner's is a Castile soup. It's a household name. A lot of people are familiar with them. It's super economical. You can turn to dish soap. You can turn to hand soap. You can turn into like a spray cleaner. Um, 
you know, you can mix it with vinegar. Like there's so many different things that you can do with Dr. Bronner. So I would say that's a really easy baby step to take is switching to Dr. Bronner's. Um, and that, and that's truly what I did. I just started making my own stuff using a clean castile yeah. soap. And then I went on from there. Okay, cool. Well, before we wrap things up, I have like a few rapid fire questions. So the first question is what makes you feel like your best self? You can probably tell I get a lot of energy just talking to people about the things that I've learned. And I know not everybody's ready for this information. I know not everybody is going to do anything with it. But in some weird small way, like I actually feel like this is this is my contribution. Like this is something good that I can do. I can help educate people. And again, it goes back to when you know better, you can do better. Um, mm -hmm. It's what energizes me. It's really what gets me up every single day. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think for so much of like my early twenties, I was like, I don't know what I'm, you know, I'm just kind of going along. And this is just something that I've gotten so passionate about is ingredients, their impact on whether they're food, personal care, whatever, clothing, even like I've just gotten really passionate about its impact on our human health and environmental health. And I feel like if I can share that education, then we all know a little bit better and we can do a little bit better. So I think that's one thing that makes me feel like my best self, um, because I think when you love what you do, like it, it radiates. Um, and then just being outside, like that's the simplest thing, but being outside with my animals, my boyfriend, like I'm truly my, my happy place there mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Love that. What do you do to spark inspiration? Maybe when you're not feeling inspired. Yeah. So for me, it's travel, which, you know, in 2020, it's been a little bit difficult to do that. Yeah. But <laughs> travel has inspired me so much throughout my life. I mean, it was my time working in Serbia that really, that was truly the spark in this journey. Um, I have friends all over the world. I've learned a lot about culture, um, just different people. And so I think anytime I can travel, I get new inspiration. And I feel like I have a whole new, like set of creativity that comes in. And even if I can't travel far to another country, I feel like even just traveling an hour away, going for a car ride, getting out and going for a hike just resets me. Like it just resets me. I feel like my creativity mm -hmm. comes back. Like these days, especially me, I'm constantly researching on a computer because that's just my mind. That's me. Um, but taking a break from that technology and having good conversations while you're going for a hike or whatever it is outside. Like I just feel like that that just gives me a whole renewed sense of inspiration and creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. New perspective, whether you can get that from an hour away, 20 minutes away, country away, new perspective can be really energizing. So I'm with you on that. Last question that I have is what is your best piece of advice to make the world a better place? Like if we all followed it, what would your advice be? I would say just be a learner, like be open to learning, whatever it is. I mean, I'm constantly learning and I, I try to be as open as possible to new information regardless of the topic. But I think if your eyes are open and your ears are open to new information, new research, just blind spots that we don't even know we have, like I think that's actually what makes the world a better place because it allows us to connect with people and places in different ways. And I think for me, that's that's part of where my fire comes from too, is because I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly open and, 
And I love learning new things. And I love realizing if I've had blind spots because it does allow me to connect with new people or seek out new information. Um, so I would say for everybody, just be open to learning. Yes. I love that you put those two words together, learning and open, because they are really one and the same to me. You have to be open to learn and you have to learn to be open. So I like both of those. That's awesome. Okay. So where can everyone find you? I know you post a lot of really valuable content online um, as far as specific ingredients to look out for. I mean, you really cover everything. We talked about personal care a lot with our time here, but I know that you know a lot about a lot of other topics as far as nutrition labels and like you mentioned, clothing and just a lot of other areas. So where can people find you and get involved, engage with you online? Amazing. Um, I would love to connect with anyone on Instagram. You can find me at the dot ingredient dot insider. And then on Facebook, I just recently started a community called the ingredient insiders. And that is where I'll be talking about all of those things you just mentioned, personal care ingredients, food ingredients, clothing, home goods. And if anyone has questions, I love them. Like that's my favorite. So I would say come find me in either of those. All right, that is it for this episode, y'all. I will talk to you in the next one. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend. Come find me on the Tea Please Instagram. We share lots of valuable content over there and you won't want to miss it. All right, talk soon.